This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. We continue our sermon series in the book of Nehemiah today, and we've been tracking along with the story from the, the first chapter uh, when Nehemiah heard from the Israelites who had come from Jerusalem to Persia about the, the status of the wall, the situation, and he w- was emotional, and he mourned and fasted and prayed and, and began to capture the vision of what God was placing in front of him to, to do something about what he saw. We went through chapter 2 and, and, and saw the, this purpose that, that Nehemiah stepped into as he, he recognized the, the value of going before the king and presenting his request and then obtaining from him authority and papers and uh, supplies and the king providing a, an armed force to go with him as he ventured in, back into his homeland to begin the process of construction. And you may notice that we're going to skip right over chapter 3 and go to chapter 4 today. Now, that's a little out of the norm. However, let me just explain the content of chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a very detailed list of the people who went to the wall to begin building and the description of where they were on the wall, then a description of the next family who stood beside them building the next section of all, all the way around the circumference of Jerusalem. And it is incredibly repetitive. So the overall message we gained from chapter 3 is the, the unity that was produced among the people of Israel as they dedicated themselves together to the project that God had laid before them. And I will spare you the repetitive reading of each family standing next to each other along the wall. We're going to step into chapter 4 today and learn from the opposition that rose up the people of Israel and for Nehemiah and the building of this wall. We're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you and want to read along, please open there. The words will be here on the screen behind me. And also, if you have a phone or tablet, you want to use the YouVersion app, you can open up the app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and find scripture and sermon notes there as well. Let's begin in verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates, the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they're building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Nehemiah, uh, verse 4, immediately turns back to his address to God. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Now, Nehemiah was intent on building the wall for the sake of his city, his home, for the sake of his people, the people of Israel, and for the sake of God. He began that work along with all of the people, investing their time and energy in that work, devoting themselves to accomplishing what God placed in their hearts, that purpose. And as they did so, opposition rose up from among 
those people groups who lived in the surrounding areas around Jerusalem. This opposition that had been present, that even when we turn back to the book of Ezra, was, was there. These people groups trying to keep Israel from rebuilding, and they obtained letters from King Artaxerxes in Persia saying, this represents a place of rebellion. These people are going to rise up. You need to stop them. And he sent letters calling Ezra and the Israelites to stop rebuilding the temple. And then Nehemiah, hearing the plight, actually from the very same king, got authorization to begin rebuilding the wall. And he came with that authority, prepared to do what he needed to do. And the people groups around Jerusalem continued to oppose what God was doing there. And where they, in chapter 2, began sowing doubt and fear in the people of Israel, saying what you're doing is rebellion against the king, and their opposition was overcome by the letters of authority that Nehemiah had. Now, now Sanballat is angry because he is powerless against the authority of the king. He's angry because there's nothing he can do. Oh, yet, maybe there is. He turned to his most useful resource, ridicule. And he began to taunt the people of Israel. What do you think you're doing building your wall? Do you think you're going to offer sacrifices? Do you think you can get done with all of that in a day? Come on. Hoping through his ridicule that he could keep the people of Israel from doing what they're doing. Now, this, these are the tactics of a bully. He's standing with his posse of people, the army of Samaria, Tobiah at his side, and he's looking out at the things that he doesn't like. Looking out at the people of Israel, doing what he doesn't want them to do. pointing out, laughing incessantly, hoping to provoke Nehemiah and his people to react. Maybe they'll challenge him. But most likely he's hoping to put them in a position where they will be so overwhelmed that they'll run all the way back to Persia, humiliated and afraid. Nehemiah was working with the Israelites in the face of opposition, working for what God was calling them to do, and, and opposition rose up. Opposition will rise up against what God is doing. It, it is a reality that we face, especially when we serve the Lord, when we, when we dedicate ourselves, when we commit ourselves to serving the Lord, living lives in faithful obedience to Him, choosing to, to answer the, the calling that He places in front of us. What we recognize is that when we step forward, when we invest ourselves, when we give of ourselves, when we make sacrifices for the sake of what God is calling us to do, what we will find is that opposition will rise up against what God is doing. There will be unexpected difficulties as we step forward to do the work God is calling us to. Things that we will have to overcome. Things that we'll have to think around and plan around and, and find ways to overcome. We'll find sometimes that people will begin to oppose the things that we're doing for the Lord. People will become critical. Not quite understanding what it is that we're doing. They're trying to stand in the way because they don't quite agree so you shouldn't do. They'll begin to tear you down talking about you or the things that you're doing. Opposition will come up in the form of temptation. Temptation towards sin to keep you from accomplishing what God has placed in your heart. And we need to recognize that the opposition that, that rises up is spiritual opposition. It is Satan's desire 
to undo what God is doing. It is Satan's desire to tear down the work that's being accomplished. It is Satan's desire to keep the work of God from even being started. And so he begins his work tearing us down spiritually, damaging relationships, frustrating, imposing, pressuring, trying to keep us from faithfully obeying the Lord. Opposition that we face when we choose to be a part of what God is doing will continually come up. And we recognize that one of the most effective means that Satan uses to destroy the work of God is to sideline the people who are doing that work. To, to take them out of the fight. To take them out of consideration. And one way to do that is to frustrate people. To eliminate their drive. To make them unmotivated to continue working. To convince us that we're helpless against the opposition that comes up. And maybe we should just give up. Maybe we should just stop trying. But we need to recognize opposition for what it is. It's Satan's attempt to keep us from what God is calling us to. And when we personally experience opposition, we need to recognize that that's not something that's unique to me as an individual. It's unique to us. It's something we all share. And when we think about what we do together as a church for the kingdom of God, we also recognize that opposition isn't a personal thing. It will also confront the church. As we seek to honor the Lord and work for his kingdom, we will face opposition and difficulty. Relationships will be damaged as people turn against one another. We'll become distracted. We'll become ineffective. Reputation in the community will suffer. The gospel message will suffer. When Nehemiah faced opposition, he did the most appropriate and effective thing that he could imagine doing in the face of opposition. He prayed. And his prayer is unique. It's different than what I would have expected. He didn't pray for success. He didn't pray for the welfare of his people. He didn't pray for the progress on the wall. Nehemiah prayed against the opposition. He prayed God's vengeance and wrath on the people who were opposing the work that they were doing for God. He prayed that, that God would punish their sin, that God would do to them what had happened to the people of Israel when they were unfaithful, that, that those foreign peoples would be held captive and taken away from their homes. Now, this is not the only place in Scripture where we, we see people praying against opposition. Uh, in, in the Psalms, many of the Psalms record David's prayers to God as he's facing the Philistines and other enemies, and he prays God's vengeance and wrath on those enemies so that he can overcome them and be victorious. In the book of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is faithful to the prophetic message that God placed in him to communicate to the people of Jerusalem that they're going to be beaten, that the walls will be torn down, that they'll be taken into captivity. The people of Jerusalem ridicule him. They stand in opposition trying to keep him from communicating that message of God. And Jeremiah prayed the same kind of prayer about those people who were standing in his way. This is a biblical example that we have of a prayer against opposition. Now, it is a biblical example. I would suggest, however, that your prayers would be that nothing would hinder the message of the gospel and that nothing would hinder the health of the church and that as you're praying about opposition, that you pray for the people who are opposing that opposition. You would pray that God would turn their hearts and draw them back to him. 
that you can continually care about people even when you're frustrated by them, even when they are producing some negative results in your life, that you would continually focus on their spiritual well-being so that they could recognize their wrong and repent of their ways and align those prayers with who they can hope to become in the Lord. Now, Nehemiah's prayer accomplished a couple of things. One of those things is that it, it helped the people regain their resolve. The people of Israel who were seeing the opposition, who were hearing the ridicule, who were, who were maybe wavering in their resolve, this prayer helped restore that as they focused on God and turned to Him and found the motivation to continue working, to bring the wall to half the height that they intended. They worked with all their hearts. You have to wonder, how were they working before this opposition came up? Were they, were they working half-heartedly? Were they just giving a little bit here and there? Now you think about all the people who had come. Some of them came from Persia with a very specific purpose to rebuild the wall. Other people that are working are, are the people who live in and around Jerusalem that Nehemiah has called to help them. People who have farms, people who have businesses, people who are still living their lives and yet coming to assist in the rebuilding effort. And you imagine after working a full day, coming to then carry stones and lay them in, in formation to rebuild a wall. They're probably exhausted giving what they have to give. But, but here, as Nehemiah prays against opposition, we see that they have been working with all of their hearts, spurred on to greater effort, convinced to, to go the extra mile, to give more than they have before. Opposition for them motivated them to greater effort. Now, there are times when opposition can do just that in our lives. So we see that things are difficult and we rise to the occasion. There's a competitive nature in each of us that is just waiting to be challenged so that we can discover our full potential. Do you know what that feels like? That, that competitive nature that rises up in you when, you when you're challenged? Are you a competitive person? My, my whole family is competitive. We, are, we all have that, that little bit of us that, that rises to the challenge. And, and I hope you understand what I'm talking about when I, when I ask. Are you, maybe, you, maybe you're the most competitive person in the room. Do you think you are? I doubt, I doubt you're the most competitive person in the room. Yeah. There, there's a challenge there that, that, that for some reason draws something out of us. Like when, when athletes are on the practice field. And they're going through the motions. They're learning the plays. They're, they're training their muscles to remember what they're supposed to do. And they're giving of themselves. And coaches are yelling and shouting and trying to push them to greater effort. The, the effort they give on the practice field in many ways is different than what you see on game day. Why? Because there's competition. Because there's opposition. And they know that they have to rise above that they have to give more of themselves. They have to lay it all on the line. They have to work with all of their hearts. That's what we see in the people of Israel who have recognized the importance of what they're doing in building this wall, seen the opposition that has come against them and have made a decision to pour themselves out and to rise to the occasion. And it's inspiring to us when we think about living our lives of faith and serving the Lord. Have you ever thought to evaluate the way that you're serving God? Have you ever thought about whether or not you're treating Sunday like it's practice or game day? That's an inter interesting thought. 
If you were to, to think about the way that you're serving the Lord, the way that you're giving of yourself, the way that you're living your life of faith, the way that you, you would look at the, the content of your life on a daily basis in terms of faithfulness and obedience, are you working for God with all of your heart? Are you pouring out everything that you have, leaving nothing on the line? Or is there more that you could be giving? Is there more that you could be doing? Is there something you're holding back? And what is it that's keeping you? If all you need is a challenge, well, here it is. Let's see how much we can give for the Lord. Let's challenge ourselves to greater acts of faithfulness to discover what it is, that what that potential is that God has placed in us. Let's challenge ourselves to go beyond the places we've ever gone before, to give in ways that we've never given, to serve in a manner we've never served, to discover what God is calling us to. Let's rise to that occasion. Notice the significance of what Nehemiah and the people of Israel accomplished in the face of that opposition. They began building the walls, and the walls rose to half the height they were going to be built in this amount of time. And they, they recognized the value of building the wall. They recognized the value of what it was that God was calling them to. Now, we're going to read a verse in, in a little bit that, that reminds us of the value of that. I'm just going to skip ahead and read it for you. It's supposed to come later, but let's just go there. The, there's a line in the Hebrew text that is, is unique, and, and I find it so interesting. Uh, we're going to be talking about how when, when the, the opposing people and Sambalat and all, all his armies, they, they heard about what the people of Israel were doing, how they were, they were rebuilding the wall. The actual phrase in Hebrew reads like this. Healing had risen to the walls of Jerusalem. And so that's translated to an understanding. They were rebuilding the wall. But, but in, in, in the Hebrew, they said healing had risen to the walls. And remember back to the the. the Ridicule from Sandalet, who said, make sure I get this right. Can they bring the walls of stone back to life from those heaps of rubble, even as burned as they are? They're talking about this wall around Jerusalem as if it's a living, breathing thing. Like someone who's been mortally wounded that they are healing. They're, they're bringing this wall back to life and restoring the city of, of Jerusalem for the sake of the people of Israel, restoring the place where the presence of God dwelt in his holy temple. For them, this was significant, significant enough that they were willing to go the extra mile, to give more of themselves and to work even in the face of opposition. And that, that's something that we need to understand because when we give of ourselves for the sake of God and his kingdom, we will face opposition. Even Jesus in the book of John, chapter 16, said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace, but know this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we know there's victory in Christ, that he has claimed the victory over sin and Satan. However, we do know that as we work for him, as we work for the sake of his kingdom, as we work to deliver the gospel message, we will have trouble, we will face opposition. And instead of letting opposition distract us, weaken us, to deter us and keep us from doing what God has called us to do. We need to let opposition drive us to greatness, drive us to greater accomplishment, drive us to moments of faithfulness in which we can honor God by pouring out all of who we are. The story continues in verse 7. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and 
The Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed. They were angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed, we prayed to God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's, there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it, before they see us, we'll be right there among them, we'll kill them and put an end to the work. And the Jews who lived near them came to us and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and all the people, remember the Lord, who's great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now, the opposition that Nehemiah faced was angry. They ridiculed the people of Israel, and they, they walked away thinking, well, we've got them now. They're, they're humiliated. They fully expected the people of Israel would, would turn tail and, and abandon their work. And when they, they found out that that wasn't the case, that they not only were still working, but were working with all their hearts, and, and the wall was, was rising, they returned angry and ready to fight, ready to kill to keep the Israelites from accomplishing their task. Nehemiah answered the show of force with prayer and action. And what we recognize in Nehemiah's life, that he is not praying as a last resort. He's not waiting until he has no other options. He's at the bottom of the barrel, desperate to find a solution and finally turning to God. Nehemiah is consistently and continually lifting up his situation to God, depending on the strength of God, depending on the wisdom of God and surrendering everything to the Lord. He is consistent in that example and in that practice. And it's important for us to learn from that as we seek to accomplish what God has called us to do, that we would faithfully devote ourselves to him and to that work, and that we would continually go to him in prayer, surrendering the details of our lives, surrendering the moments of opposition that we face, and seeking his strength and guidance so that we can be faithful in what he's calling us to do. Nehemiah faced incredible opposition from outside as these foreign people tried to keep the Israelites from building the wall, but he also faced opposition from inside, from among his own people. They started to complain, recognizing that the, the strength of the workers was giving out. There was so much rubble in the way. They were having trouble building the wall. They heard the threat of the people surrounding them, that they would come and attack and kill them. And the people who, who lived among them and knew them well said, this is true, before you even realize they're there, You'll turn around and there will be someone ready to attack. Nehemiah refused to let their fear infect his workers. He prayed and he stationed guards at the lowest, weakest places along the wall. According to families, groupings of men prepared to fight to defend the people who were working, to defend the families that they would stand. And he charged them to remember God and the strength that comes from him. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of those people. Don't be afraid of their threats. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and stand. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and continue pouring yourselves out for his sake and for his glory and for his kingdom. God provides the strength that we need to stand against opposition. And we need to be reminded of that. Because when we face opposition, it's common for us to feel the weight of that burden, to feel the, the shame and humiliation of, of ridicule, to feel cowed by anger, to feel overwhelmed by the, by the, the, the barriers and the difficulties that we encounter. Sometimes we, we get so overwhelmed with opposition because we're, we focus on it so much. We focus on, on how great the obstacle is, how difficult it will be for us to get around it, how hard it will be for us to overcome it. And the obstacle to us becomes insurmountable. We feel the weight of burden. It's too much for us to bear because we're so focused on our own efforts and how much we lack in terms of accomplishing what God is calling us to do. We recognize how little strength we have to face that opposition. And Nehemiah's challenge is a reminder for us to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the God who has the power to overcome everything that we face. And as we pray and surrender to him, what happens is that we begin to change our focus. Instead of seeing the obstacle as enormous, we lift our eyes and see God who is even greater. We see God who is even stronger, who has everything that we need to overcome what's standing in front of us so that we can faithfully obey what he's calling us to do. And we begin working to address the opposition we face, knowing that God is with us and capable of supplying us with everything that we could possibly need. The story continues in verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. So wherever you hear the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when we went for water. Nehemiah was ready, prepared. And when the enemies of Israel realized that they could not surprise the Jews, they were frustrated. And Nehemiah recognized that it was God who frustrated their plans. It was God who had given them the strength, God who had restored their resolve as they sought his strength and wisdom and guidance in prayer. After praying, Nehemiah implemented this strategy of preparedness. No one would consider themselves simply as workers. No one would think of himself just as someone who's carrying a stone and laying it in the right place. They would all think of themselves as warriors, as defenders. 
standing for the sake of their people, standing for the sake of their family, standing for the sake of their God and their home. They would work with a weapon in, in hand, a sword at their side. Now, that was going to slow down the effort. Half the men standing guard while half the men worked, and those who were working were still carrying weapons with them. It was going to be slow. It was going to delay things a bit. Yet it would provide for all of the people this confidence of strength, of knowing that they were ready, knowing that God would come and fight for them, but that they needed to be prepared for those moments so that they could continue to honor God with their actions and with their decisions. When we think about what it is to continually be faithful to God, to follow where he's leading, and to do what it is that he's laid before us to accomplish, we, we have to be prepared with a diligent defense. We have to be prepared to face opposition. We have to be prepared to call on the strength of God to meet us where we are. Personally, individually, we have to always be prepared for opposition to come. And so we think about the different kinds of opposition we have to be ready for. We have to be ready for temptation. We have to be ready for Satan to try and draw us away from what God is calling us to and instead draw us towards sin. We have to be ready for those moments by, by living within clear moral boundaries, by choosing to remove the things that tempt us from our lives, even when that means removing things that we want to do, things that we enjoy doing, because we know that sin is just on the other side of them. Sometimes it means making sacrifices so that we can be faithful, so that we can be obedient to God. We'd be ready for those moments when people will try and frustrate us, when people will try and keep us from doing what God is calling us to do, even if it's simply just being faithful and standing on the truth of God's word. We have to be prepared for the times when we will encounter anger from other people who can't understand why we believe what we believe, why we do the things that we do. We have to be ready and prepared when we encounter ridicule, when people try and dissuade us from the course we've set, try and dissuade us from the beliefs that we have because they can't understand. We prepared for the fact that our ideas about faithful obedience have to be measured in the face of opposition. And we need to understand that Faithfulness does not equal success. God is calling us to faithful obedience. Sometimes we will also be successful. But God is not calling us to success. God is calling us to faithful obedience. And the, the difficulty we have with that idea is that, that generally speaking, I'm just going to impose this general statement. When we think about what it means to serve God and to be faithfully obedient to him, we have this mindset that the, the more faithful that we are, the easier the path will be. That as long as we, we are obedient to God, as long as we are living outside of sin and we're serving him, that God is going to remove opposition, that God is going to, to wipe away all the things that would keep us from being obedient so that we can have success for his kingdom and for his glory and also for a little bit of ours. The, the problem with that is that that is not a biblical example. And while we want that to be true, and while sometimes we evaluate whether or not we're actually being faithful to God based on how difficult life is at the moment, what we understand from Scripture is that in this world there will be trouble. As we serve God, we will face opposition. As we dedicate ourselves to Him and surrender our lives to Him and work for His glory and for His kingdom, the opposite is true. Satan will stand in the way of that. Satan will try and tear down what God is doing. And if that means tearing you down in the process, so be it. And we have to be ready for those moments, ready to stand with the strength of God 
so that we can be faithfully obedient to him, whether or not we're successful. It's the faithfulness that matters. There will be days when we feel discouraged because of the opposition that we face. There will be days where we lose our motivation and we just feel like we're adrift. There will be days where we have doubts about our faith, about the decisions we've made, about whether or not what we've, what we've decided to do is really what God is calling us to do. We meet those moments head on with prayer. We surrender them to the Lord and call on his peace and call on his strength and call on his wisdom to fill us, to supply us with everything that we need to endure the opposition and to overcome it. And we know that God has supplied everything that we need and that some of the supply he has provided through the people who are next to us. That it's in the relationships that we have with other Christians that God provides a great deal of support to us. So we pray for one another and allow God to restore our focus and remind us of his power. As we reach out and seek support from the people sitting around us, the, the, the Christian brothers and sisters that, that we have as part of a body of believers that are within our family, we know that they're there for us. But sometimes it can be difficult to share our burdens. Sometimes it can be difficult to open up and be vulnerable with people and let them know that we're struggling. Let them know that we're experiencing opposition and doubt and fear. But think about the, the encouragement that you can have from the, the, the faithful people around you to listen to what you're going through, to encourage you and advise you, to hold you accountable to the commitments you've made to the Lord, to walk with you through that opposition, to hold you up when you're feeling weak and to support you with their faithfulness as you work together for the Lord. God is providing everything that we need if we're willing to surrender to him and pray for him, recognize it, and take advantage of what he has provided. As a church, we need to be prepared for opposition to come. We remain committed to biblical truth. When we faithfully devote ourselves to the Lord, we know that we will face opposition. We feel that. We see it in the world around us. It's a difficult time for the church today. Talk to friends in ministry, talk to people in other churches around the country. It's the same. There's opposition that we have to be ready for. And we need to understand that as Satan works diligently to bring people down when they serve the Lord, Satan works diligently to tear down the church, to bring down what God builds up, to destroy our reputation, to destroy the the effectiveness of the gospel among his people and among the community where they live. And we can find strength in the Lord to stand against that opposition. We find strength together, stand united as a body of believers in the face of opposition. When the church faces opposition, it's tempting to give in. When opposition confronts biblical truth, the temptation is for us to compromise our principles to align our beliefs with culture instead of scripture. When opposition disrupts fellowship among believers, the temptation is to walk away and find another church, maybe where, where things might feel better for a while. 
where we know we won't be facing the people that have become opposition to us. When opposition creates doubts and questions, the temptation is to become critical and to tear people down and talk about them behind their backs. When the church faces opposition, when we recognize that it's there, our best approach is to turn to the Lord in prayer and, and together to stand and take action. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for our church. We need to be praying for the strength of God, for the unity that comes from him as we devote ourselves in faithful obedience to where he's calling us and to what he's calling us to do. We'd be praying for our leaders, for ministry staff, for elders, for ministry team leaders, for those who are serving in those ministry teams, for those who are reaching out of the community. We'd be continually lifting up the body of believers in prayer as we serve alongside one another, praying for each other. drawing on the strength of God. We need to pray for the health and unity of our congregation, that we would support one another and love one another, that when we have questions and criticisms, we would talk directly to people instead of talking about them behind their back, that we would care for one another, that we would love them as Christ loves his church, that we would choose to value what God values and work for what God is calling us to do. The things that matter to God should be important enough to us that we're willing to stand for them. The things that matter to God should be important enough to us that we're willing to call on his strength, that we're willing to stand in difficult moments, that we're willing to, to hold one another up when we see that others are struggling, that we're willing to invest in relationships with people, that we're willing to choose a difficult path of faithfulness, that we're willing to allow God to stretch us to reach our full potential, even when that means facing difficulty, that we will step into it knowing that in those difficult moments, when we're fully dependent on God, when we are giving all of who we are and we've poured all of our hearts into what God is calling us to do, that, that there we reach our greatest potential for the Lord. It's a challenge that we all face. And this morning I want to challenge you to answer what it is that God has laid in front of you. If you have a decision to make about your relationship with the Lord, if you need to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're already a Christian and you know that you're not giving all of your heart to the Lord, that you would recognize your need to step forward in faith, no matter what opposition you might face. And today you would do that. Maybe you recognize that there are needs all around you, places where you can serve. And instead of faithfully obeying and going where you feel God pulling you, you've been hesitant. You've been holding back. Stop. Answer where God is calling you. Step into what God has placed in your heart and faithfully obey what it is that he's calling you to do. Don't let fear... Don't let opposition, don't let uncertainty and doubt keep you from being faithfully obedient to the Lord. This morning, if you have a decision to make, if there's anything in your life that you'd like to have prayer for, would you please come forward so we stand and sing together? Please stand.